The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merritt, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York here on WGBB in downtown Merrick, Long Island, New York. I am Bill Donahue, and I'm taking you through the first hour on the Sunday night, the 15th day of August 2021. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is with us as always. A great show coming your way tonight. Just your garden variety MSG-centric show. Up first, uh, we'll talk to a member of the magnificent 6970 world champion New York Knicks team. Mike Reardon will join us. And in the second half, we'll welcome in the legendary garden photographer, the great George Kalinske. So just sit back, relax, get comfy, enjoy the show tonight on GBB. As always, we got some great sports memories rolling your way. Now, before we begin, as always, I just want to talk to you about social media. I invite you to follow us on our Facebook page that's out there. You'll find it, no problem. Give us a look and give us a like. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter, at WGBB Sports Talk. You can follow me on Twitter, at B. Donahue, WGBB. And if you miss a show, don't worry, because they're all archived out on our website. Well, our first guest, he hails from Great Neck. And Holy Cross High School in Bayside. He's a member of the great championship team, as I said, of 6970. Later traded along with Dave Stallworth to the Bullets for the great Earl Monroe. We welcome into Sports Talk New York tonight, Mike Reardon. Mike, good evening. Good evening, Bill. How are you today? Oh, we're doing great, Mike. We're doing great. It's, uh, it's great to have you aboard. Now, I just want to let you know, my dad is from Great Neck. You know where Franklin Place is? Sure. Yeah. yeah, it's been a long been a long time, but that name rings a bell. Yeah, that that's where my dad grew up in in Great Neck, and uh, it wasn't the garden spot that it is now back when he was a kid. But uh, nevertheless, uh, had some great times visiting grandparents in Great Neck. Now, when you were a kid, Mike, who were your heroes and teams growing up uh, out on Long Island here? Yeah, I, I, I was a Nick fan and um, grew up uh, rooting for them. They they had a lot of Hard times when we were younger, uh, but th- there were some players that stood out, like Richie Guerin, oh, yeah. uh, who was a, a New York guy that uh, uh, was real impressive. And uh, the rest of the sports, uh, I was a Giant fan in football and in baseball until they left town. Okay. Uh, but uh, I kind of just uh, stayed with the homegrown teams. Interesting. Okay, Mike. Now, let, we'll talk about 40 years ago. uh Bill Bradley comes aboard uh, to the Knickerbockers after completing his uh, postgraduate work over at Oxford. He signed a huge contract. I, I guess that's where he got the name Dollar Bill from. Uh, the Knicks, of course, coached by the great, the legendary Red Holtzman. And they made a decision, folks, to showcase Bradley to the New York press with, with some sessions at the Garden. Now, local players were brought in to scrimmage uh, during these uh, sessions. One of them was Great Next Mike Reardon, right, Mike? Yeah, that was, uh, I think, after the season, probably in April or May. Uh, so they put the floor down in the garden mm-hmm. to uh, do a PR thing and, and introduce Bradley to the scene. And uh, Walt Frazier was there. He was the first-round pick. They had... Uh, veterans from the team, the Van Arsdales were there, uh, Emmett Bryant, uh, Freddie Crawford. There was a good collection of guys there for a workout. Now, uh, from what I read, Mike, you sort of took Dollar Bill to school. Is that true? <laughs> no, no, that's not true. Okay. Uh, Phil, okay. Was, Phil, Phil was a tough matchup, uh, but uh, the only thing that was that we kidded him about was uh, all those uh, – College fouls he got away with uh, and going to the free throw line, he wasn't going to get them in that scrimmages. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <he> was, <laughs> so there was a lot of no calls, as I remember, and he's looking around in the habit of going to the line. That wasn't happening. So gotcha. the, the physic- physicality of the pro game 
was uh, a whole different game that a lot of people had to get adjusted to. And uh, if you played a lot of schoolyard basketball in New York, you, you were pretty comfortable with it. But if you were used to college or if you used to Oxford, you might have uh, a, a few practices to get adjusted to it. Exactly. Things are uh, not the same at jolly old England as they are on the floor at Madison Square Garden. That's for sure, Mike. Now, Holy Cross High School in Bayside, and then on to Providence. You got an academic scholarship to Providence, which is great. And you you kind of had a stellar college career at Providence, didn't you? Yeah, I, I was with uh, some good players there. There was a uh, uh, we had a good freshman team uh, that uh, scrimmaged against the varsity and held our own. And, and the, the the varsity was very good. They wound up playing in the NIT, and we had a, a player. On our freshman team, we couldn't play as freshman named Jimmy Walker. Right. He wound up, he wound up, uh, just being a, uh, terror, uh, as far as a great player. Averaging 30 a game his senior year and being the first, uh, player picked in the draft. So we had some good teams. Uh, we went to the NCAAs and the NIT. And, uh, so it, it was uh, a thrill to play there. And that's the Jimmy Walker that went on to the Pistons, right, Mike? Exactly. Yeah, okay, yeah. I got the right guy. Now, you were kind of a mid-level draft choice by the Knickerbockers, but you were used to, used to as we said, playing in the parks and the play, playgrounds of Long Island and New York City. Where did you play locally uh, on the streets? Uh, we, we played a lot in, in schoolyards in Bayside and in Great Neck, and then later on, uh, we had the, the fortune to play at Nassau Community College a lot there. There was a, a, a math teacher named Lou Rothell who played at St. John's, and he had uh, he was a general with a portable floor there uh-huh. where we played a lot in the summertime, uh, full-court games with a lot of people coming in from all over, the pros and the colleges and high schools. And uh, Lou was like the general, and he had a, a couple privates uh and Larry Calper and Mike Candell organizing things. So we had the benefit of a, a, a big-time court with a lot of big-time games. I remember Mike Candell. Uh, Mike, uh, he, he was from, as you say, Nassau Community. He was at my basketball camp out at St. Anthony's in Smithtown uh, during uh, seventh grade, I think it was. The doctor was there, John Roach. Uh, there, was, there was even a coach. By the name of Rick Patino, that <laughs> that was just a kid from UMass back then. But that's where I remember Mike Candell from his basketball camp. Now, Red took a liking to you, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess I got on his right side because mm-hmm. Red was a defensive first type of coach, and uh, I was comfortable playing D and, and matching up and trying to trying to hustle and help out uh, on a team defense. So uh, my first year, he, uh, he, he, he I, I wasn't uh, a mid-round choice, uh, Bill. I was a late-round uh, pick. I was, ah, a 12th, okay. I was a 12th round pick. So I was a long shot, and things were, were pretty volatile. The uh, Vietnam War was raging. A lot of us were facing a draft coming out of college. But... Uh, Red and uh, the general manager at the time, Eddie Donovan, mm-hmm. was was real helpful to me, both of them, as far as uh, getting through that first year in training camp. Uh, I wound up um, not joining the team, but I got into reserves, the National Guard in, in Roslyn, and uh, went away for basic training and uh, advanced training after that. But I was able to play in the Eastern League that winter on weekends, uh, passes. So after that first year, um, uh, Eddie Donovan, uh, signed me up for the following year. And that was just a thrill of a lifetime just to be playing for a hometown team and getting a chance to play with the Knicks. I can imagine. We're speaking with Mike Reardon tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now I had read during my research, Mike, that you were one of the first guys to challenge big Russell, uh, Bill Russell, uh, Tell us a little bit about playing against Bill Russell. Yeah, and I wasn't one of the first. A lot of people tried to, uh, and I, and we, anybody who tried to test Bill Russell didn't usually come out on the good end of the stick. Uh, he <laughs> no. was, uh, <laughs> he was, uh, uh, premier shot blocker. Uh, he, he would rotate and change shots 
and uh, was was just the best defensive player in the league at the time. And uh, in that playoff game, he got in foul trouble, and uh, he was playing with five fouls, and we were in a, a tough match with them. And I got a chance to get in it in in crunch time, um, and as a result, uh, all I was trying to do was take it to the basket and maybe try to get a six foul on him or whatnot. But uh, I, I would never say that uh, any of us were trying to uh, test Bill Russell. We, right. we were trying to test the foul situation more than anything. I got you on that one. Now, we'll talk about the great season in 69-70. What I remember is oh, I used to be in my bedroom with a transistor radio listening to Marv Albert. Because uh, that was about the only way you were going to get those home games. The games in Los Angeles or around around the league, they televised on Channel Nine. Bob Wolf used to do them on on the TV. But I remember remember specifically, Mike, the game, the nineteenth consecutive win against the Cincinnati Royals out there when Bob Cousy, who was the head coach, put himself in, into the game. You remember that one? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that was. Uh... Uh, a, a, a great memory. Uh, we didn't really think that, that the clock was really against us. Down five with 16 to go. Uh, we had to come up with a couple of steals, uh, make some clutch hoops, and everything. Kuzi put himself in, I think, to steady the team down. And uh, on an out of bounds play, we wound up. Uh, Frazier came in. He was playing like a free safety. Picked it off and took it in. Cut it to three. I think the Busher came another steal with, with a jumper, and then we wound up. I think it was Frazier at the end made a winning basket, so that we wound up right right with seconds to go to to get that 19th victory in a row. Yeah, what an amazing game that was! I remember that on TV, and some just just some great matchups with that Nick team, uh, with the Lakers, uh, with the the Baltimore Bullets with Wesley Unseld, Gus Johnson, Jack Marin. Uh, they matched up so tremendously against the Knicks, the Celtics, the same way. Uh, give us a little uh, insight, Mike, into into uh, playing against those particular clubs in, during that particular time. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was really an exciting time as far as uh, New York's basketball. The uh, the year was uh, uh, like the high watermark. The, the Mets had one, I think, and the Jets had one. And here we were in the middle of the winter trying to be the third team to do it. So the whole year was kind of like a Cinderella run. I mean, with the previous year, we got into the finals in the Eastern Conference. But the, this year in 69 and 70, we thought we could have a good shot at getting to the finals and, and possibly winning it all. So things broke good for us that year. Um, it's uh, the Laker team we wound up beating in the finals was uh, loaded with uh, West and Baylor and Chamberlain, and uh, they were they were going to be a tough matchup the whole way. Going down to seven games, and then having that uh, storybook ending with uh, Willis, who who was hurt, coming out on one leg, and basically we had a blowout in the seventh game. So it couldn't have been scripted any better. It was amazing, truly amazing, uh, Mike, talking to Mike Reardon tonight. And I believe that is a George Kalinske shot of Danny Whalen and uh, the captain coming out of the tunnel and uh, coming out to warm up before the game. Just a magic moment in sports, New York sports definitely. But uh, as Howard Cosell, I think, described it, Mike, he called Willis Reed something like the the best that the human spirit has to give. And that, that's just amazing to think of that. <laughs> yeah, a great guy uh, to this day. I keep that picture. Yeah. Willis and Danny Whalen uh, right here by my fireplace while I'm talking to you. Watch with a TV in the background, but uh, it's it's just a uh, it's so unusual to to have. I had the privilege of having playing with him and also another great center in Wes Unseld in Baltimore. Right, uh, you couldn't find two better guys on and off the courts. Solid people, great friends, and so I, I felt privileged to be able to be teammates with two guys like that. I understand that, Mike. These guys, folks, they weren't the, the tallest. They weren't the biggest guys. 
out there. They weren't seven-footers like Alcindor and Chamberlain. Uh, Wes Unseld and Willis Reed more or less did it with their strength and their guts, and uh, they they were able to uh, excel and go to the Hall of Fame like that. Now, you guys were called the Minutemen, Mike. Guys like you, Stallworth, Kazi Russell, Nate Bowman, uh, who else was there? John Warren, uh, Don May, Bill Hoskett. Tell us about coming off the bench to spell that great starting five. Yeah, it would, uh, Red had a pretty good rotation, a predictable rotation of uh, bringing in guys off the bench at certain times. And uh, I would come in for Fra- either Frazier or Dick Barnett, and uh, they, one, one would go out again, so I would stay on for possibly 10, 12 minutes in a row while relieving those two guys. And then Cassie would come in for Bradley. Dave Stallworth would come in for Dave Busher, mm-hmm. and Nate Bowman would come in for Willis. So that was kind of the rotation, and uh, we got into a real good, predictable way about it. Uh, foul trouble and injuries would change all that or, or possibly a hot shooting hand for somebody. But uh, Red was, was, was good that way. Our expectations were um, solid game in and game out. So uh, the... The, set, the Minutemen basically were pushing the starters in practice to play the best they could to simulate the other team's plays and, and what they would have to face in, in the next game. So we had a good unity that way. Uh, it was a really a good collection of people that uh, all, all unifying for the one end, and um, it's, it's uh, just a great memory to look back upon that. It was a great ball club, uh, top, top to bottom, Mike. That's for sure. And, uh, you, you got dealt to Baltimore. We'll talk about that, but it was the expansion era time. And guys like Don May, I think he went to Buffalo. Hoskett went to Cleveland or John Warren went to Cleveland. And, uh, you ended up getting dealt with Stallworth to the Bullets for the trade that brought in Earl Monroe. How did you feel about leaving the Knicks, Mike? Yeah, I, I was at, at first. I mean, I knew things like this were always in the works. That's the business of basketball. I was used to that. Uh, I, I was, uh, was with a championship team. I wanted to stick around another year. We, uh, the year after our championship year, we got beat by the Bullets in the conference finals, and then so we were going into the, the another year after the championship. I think it was uh, 72 now. And uh, in that September, October range, I heard some rumblings about a trade or whatnot, and you just never know what's going to happen. So being local, I'd, I'd prefer to stay there. Being part of that championship team, I'd prefer to stay there. But I had to look upon it as uh, uh, t- play the hand that you get, play the cards that you have, move on. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, getting traded to Baltimore tur- uh, turned out to be a very enjoyable thing for me because I went from uh, playing 20 or 25 minutes a game to the first game I went down there. Uh, I was coming off a broken uh, wrist and had to sit out about five weeks before I even played. But the first game I came back, uh, I played 44 minutes. And, and I thought, this is, I, this is like going to heaven. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so I, I became a starter. I became uh, more of a complete player, and I liked the pace uh, that Baltimore played, a fast pace, uh, up and down, fast-breaking game. And uh, so I got very comfortable there. And as things turned out, I, I stayed down in this area uh, ever since and uh, made it my home. Yeah, it's not like you you had a, a cup of coffee with the Bullets, Mike. You ended up having an 11-year NBA career. Uh, your best season, you averaged about 19 points a game. Uh, you you were on the all-defensive uh, second team. So you really did well in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, it, it worked out. So sometimes when you get traded, uh, it, it can be mixed results, and uh, there's a bunch of adjustments, but uh, uh, I, I was fortunate it was it was a coach there that was in my corner, a guy named Gene Shu, and I, I was very happy playing with uh, Wes Hunsell and Gus and Phil Chenier. So we had a good nucleus. We wound up uh, 
going to the finals in 75, uh, unfortunately got swept by Golden State, but, uh, and the team moved from Baltimore to, uh, Washington, um, around uh, 73, I think. So it, w- it was a, uh, a, a lot of, uh, ups and downs, but it, it turned out to be, um, a, a pretty good move overall. Yeah, I, I would say for sure, Mike. Now, uh, I want to talk to you about the, the famous, and kids may may not remember this, but at, at one time there was a one-on-one competition they'd have uh, during the game, the game of the week, I think it was, on a Sunday. And like in baseball, we have the home run derby. Uh, now they have the slam dunk competition at the All-Star Game. But uh, highly entertaining was that made-for-TV one-on-one game that, that that they'd have. Now, you beat Dave Cowens in that tournament, didn't you, Mike? Yeah, yeah, I did. That was, uh, even though I was in in Baltimore, uh, it, 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 uh, the game was happened to be uh, scheduled in, in a uh, high school, a Catholic high school that I played in, in, in from Holy Cross. It, it was one of the Bronx schools, All Hollows or Mount St. Michael's. Uh-huh. And, uh, so when we stepped on the floor, uh, I was received very warmly there. The, whole, the, the stands were packed with high school kids. And Cowens turned to me and said, did you go to high school here? <laughs> yeah. It was like a home court advantage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, uh, I said, no, but our, our our, uh, my high school played in this league, so that they're familiar with me. Yeah. And uh, anyway, yeah, the, the, the one-on-one thing was was a lot of fun. It it uh, you had ten seconds to score, and you would play different guys. And winner went on, loser went home. And uh, you, I wound up playing against guards and centers, and uh, so, so you, you kind of had to adapt your game to who you were playing, but. Well, I was comfortable with the fact that we played a lot of one-on-one growing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, the strategy, the, the different things you had to do, uh, I was pretty comfortable with. And so it, it, it worked out pretty good. A lot of the games were shown at halftime of the NBA game of the week. So it, it got some notoriety and and, and some uh, fame to it. So uh, all in all, it, it, it was it was a lot of fun to do. Definitely. I, I remember that, uh, and it was tremendous, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Mike, throughout your great career, who would you say your best teammate was? Well, I wouldn't have one guy, Bill. I mean, I, I had a whole bunch. I wouldn't single out one guy, but, I mean, I, I just mentioned uh, uh, Willis Reed and uh, Wes Unsell, two big um, leaders of teams, right. captains of the teams, as being two of the best uh, teammates I had, but, uh, between Baltimore and, and New York, uh, it, it, I, I, I couldn't even pin it down to just a couple because there were so many good ones from uh, Walt Frazier and Bill Bradley, Dick Barnett, uh, Dave DeBusher. I mean, you can go on and on. And in Baltimore, uh, I had Phil Chenier, I had Archie Clark and uh, Jack Marin. So it, it was just uh, it, it, most of the guys on the teams were just a joy to play with and you you wound up making uh um lifelong relationships there was a player i uh, played with in baltimore named truck robinson oh, you remember yeah. he plays yeah he truck. played with the knicks later on uh-huh uh I, I go out to arizona in the winter i see him out there and play golf with him and this is like 40 years 50 years later yeah right and and incidentally his his grandson and my grandson are on the same uh club team in arizona youth young youth club team so that's the kind of things that happen you stay together over these many years with uh friendships that uh don't go away small world and a great answer from a team ball player like you mike now i wanted to ask you about another famous name around the island in basketball back then fuzzy levane now fuzzy do, do you think red uh, got a tip about you from the great Fuzzy Levine because he he was in Great Neck, wasn't he? And his son played out on Long Island. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Fuzzy was uh, had a big pro connection and was uh, tight with the Dick McGuire and Red Holzmans, and I think he was a scout for the Knicks at one time later on. 
so uh, his family were around there, and, and uh, I mean, I met him, and his son was younger than me. Um, so we 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 basically didn't uh, uh, play against each other a whole lot, but the family kind of knew about players in the area, and and I don't think it, it hurt us at all to just uh, having that kind of uh, uh, rubbing up against the right people. No, that that's for sure, Mike. Mike Reardon with us tonight. Now, uh, the term "the best" it's always subjective, but you you were really, Mike, a, a fine player on one of the greatest teams uh, in basketball history. As I said, I grew up with these guys. You you emulated them out in the street uh, with the backboard up against the telephone pole. <laughs> you know, you know about that. An, an NBA champion. Would you say your finest crowning moment was the 69-70 win against the Lakers? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what, uh, a team sport is all about. It's not the individual, uh, accolades or awards or anything like that. It's, the, it's the team championship. It's, it's an NBA ring. And, uh, at a young age, uh, I was probably 24 or 25 to, to achieve that as part of a team and to be, uh, playing important minutes and important, uh, roles on a team like that is, is basically the highlight of, 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 of anybody's basketball career. So, uh, with, with the Bullets, we had some great teams and we got to the finals, but we never won it. So I would have to say the high watermark was definitely playing for a hometown team in the Knicks and winning a championship at the Garden. And and that leads us right into our next guy, because a guy chronicling that ball club, as well as the great events at, at the uh, at the Garden during those days, George Kalinske. Now, I, I went to a book signing he did, Mike, and I'll mention this to him as well. Uh, he had a book about the Knicks. And just some wonderful photos in it. And, uh, they did a book signing at Barnes and Noble in Union Square in Manhattan. And I think it was Red, Willis, DeBusher, Bradley, uh, Clyde, Dean Meminger, and the, the Pearl. And, uh, I also got Spike Lee to sign that book because <laughs> he was in the audience. So it, it really turned out to be a memorable experience. But, uh, that guy w- was, uh, must have been fun to hang around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, George was. Uh, please mention to him. I, I said this. I will. Hello, Mike. Yeah. I congratulate him on his his, his Hall of Fame. Uh, it, was it a nomination or has he already been inducted? I'm not, I'm not sure if that happened yet, Mike. I'll find out uh, from him. But uh, yeah, he he uh, for media, he's being recognized by the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame in Springfield, and uh, just a great honor for a guy, a guy who really deserved it. Yeah, yeah, he was, he became part of the woodwork on the team, uh, always around and very unassuming and always got some great shots. So, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of guys in the uh, team and in, in basketball would appreciate a guy like that and wanted to see, uh, some of the shots he took were, 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 were very unusual and kind of like, uh, on a different plane than all the other photographers that you would see right iconic so, uh, and one of the yeah. pictures i used to to promote this show mike i don't know if you remember it was a picture of debusher frazier and you uh talking to ed bradley the, the great journalist ed bradley and george captured that moment as well you remember that photo yeah you know what uh you uh you sent it to me i've seen it before and i always was trying to figure out uh, who the reporter was. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, right. Cause, right, cause there's, there's no caption there, but uh, you schooled me on it, and right away, Ed Bradley from 60 Minute fame is, uh, he got more publicity than the other three guys in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but Mike Reardon, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us, uh, up here in New York. I wish you all the best. Thanks a lot, Bill. It's uh, very comfortable talking to you. That's Mike Ridden, folks. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we'll welcome in the legendary George Kalinske. So stick around.
are listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back with Sports Talk New York here on WGBP from beautiful downtown Merrick, Long Island. I sincerely hope you've had a great weekend. Uh, I spent a few days at the old bull yard on 41 Seaver Way in Flushing in the heat of this week. Uh, Mets will let you down as, as quick as anybody will. I'll tell you, they're trying to keep their heads above water. Last I heard, they were losing to the Dodgers tonight on Sunday Night Baseball. Anyway, how did you feel about that Field of Dreams game? I, I thought it was a great job done by Major League Baseball, and uh, they really had a big win with that, a big win for Major League Baseball. Well, right now we're going to keep the sports memories rolling along here. Our next guest, one of the most famous image makers of our time, or, or really any time. His lens has captured some of the most important faces, places, and events in the world of sports, entertainment, and even politics. It's an honor and a pleasure to welcome to the show tonight, George Kalinske. George, good evening. Well, hi. It's really great to be on with you. It's it's my pleasure, George. Yes. Now, uh... Just want to tell you, got off the the phone with Mike Reardon, and uh, he sends his best regards to you. Oh, that's really nice, and send send him my regards too. We, uh, Mike's a great guy. He he sure was did great on the show. Now, what influenced in you, uh, George, to start your career in photography? I actually fell into it. Um, I I was in Florida. Uh, working for a job as a sports cartoonist, which is what I wanted to do, and the Miami Herald, uh, I went for an interview with them, and they wanted to hire me as a sports and uh, political cartoonist. And, uh, I was a protege of some of the best that there were at the time, like we were with Mullen. Um, but it seems that I was walking towards the, uh, uh, to, uh, the, to the corner around Fifth Street, and I see Howard Cosell on the corner, and I I didn't know him, but I asked him what he was doing there, and he said, I'm here to interview the champ, and as he said that, Muhammad Ali crossed the street, wow. the two of them shook hands, they went into the Fifth Street gym, and I followed them, except Angelo Dundee stopped me, and he said, you can't come in unless you pay a dollar. I said, and I had this camera around my shoulder that I used strictly for taking pictures of my family, and he I, he said, you can't come in unless you pay a dollar. And I said, I'm the photographer of Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and the words just came out of my mouth. I have no idea why. <laughs> and um, so he said, okay, comedian, come on in. So yeah. I followed, the, I followed uh, Ali and Cosell, and uh, I took pictures uh, with Angelo's help. Angelo, we, we later became really good friends. And... Um, Anyway, I took my one roll of film that I shot in the gym. When I went back to New York, I showed it to John F.X. Condon, who was the PR director for boxing for Madison Square Garden. And he looked at me, and he had this one roll of film in his hand. He said, if you have the chutzpah to hire you, he said, if you have the chutzpah to come to me with one roll of film, I have the chutzpah to hire you. And that's how I became the photographer of the Knicks, the Rangers, in all of Madison Square Garden. Wonderful story, George. Wonderful story. Now, what I what I read when I was doing my homework uh, to speak to you is that you really, speaking of the great one, Muhammad Ali, you you conceived the idea of rope a dope for Muhammad Ali. Is that true? Well, that's true. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Uh, it it seems that one meeting I uh, with Ali uh, when he crossed the street and I shook hands, I followed him into the gym, and eventually. Uh, eventually, meaning not too long a period of time, Ali and I became very friendly. And uh, he, he, there was one one night he called me. He was always asking me for advice on things, and he said, uh, he, he said, "Can I come over and see you?" And I said, "Yes." And 
he came over to the garden, and the garden was empty that night. And we went into the empty press room, and I said, what's up? He said, I'm going to fight. In another month, I'm going to fight George Foreman. He's too big. He's too fast. He's too uh, young. He's too quick. He's too strong. There's no way I can beat him. And I'm saying to myself, you know, the fight's like somewhere around six weeks away, five weeks away. Wow. And he's telling me that the world would love to hear, be a fly on the wall for this. <laughs> and But I thought, Ali, through the years working out so much, I often wondered why he lets his sparring partners hit him in the stomach the way he did. And I, I about ten seconds passed from the time that uh, Muhammad said that he he just can't win this fight. I said, Muhammad, you're going to win this fight because you've been practicing for this fight all your life. This fight is going to be go down in history, and you're going to win this. And the reason you're going to do it is because you're going to let him punch you and punch you and punch you until he wears himself out. And he's, you, you just have to, he, you, you just have to act like a dope on the ropes, like you, you took something and, uh, let him swing away at you. He's gonna tire himself out. And sure enough, he, uh, make a long story short, he, uh, he tired himself out. George Foreman just, uh, he, uh, later on when I spoke to Foreman about it, he said, I just, I just let, I just let Muhammad sucker me into this. Yeah, and, and he said, "As soon as as soon as the fight started, I knew, I knew I I was finished." Wow, what, what a tremendous story that is, George. Now, uh, George, I got plenty of stories. Bill. Oh, you do? Yeah, I know. We're, we're gonna have a good time now. Uh, the official photographer of the Garden Radio City. So many people, George, have told you that uh, you were the artist that took their favorite pictures, from Pavarotti to the Pope, Bill Russell. Mariano Rivera, Patrick Ewing, and I read where uh, a few days after the great Frank Sinatra passed in 1998, Tina Sinatra called you and told you that no one ever really captured the essence of Frank Sinatra as well as you did. When she told me that, she called me up uh, like two days after he passed away, and um, we were in a home in Vermont, and... Uh, she got the, she had the number and she called and she was crying. She had tears in her voice for, uh, when she called and I, I couldn't believe that with the situation where, where he, he, he wasn't even buried yet. Um, she calls up and, and makes the point that she loves that photo more than any photo that was ever taken of him. Mm-hmm. And that meant more to me than almost anything I can think of. In, in the workforce, in my workforce, and, and what I was trying to accomplish. Because if you can have, and I was, I was considerably younger at the time, and for someone to say that on the, on the, on the level that Sinatra is on and was on, for someone to say that's the best picture that's ever been taken of my father, and it, it means so much to me, and I know he's singing that song to me, she was saying, and, um, it was uh, to this to this day she thanks me for that photo. That's, that, it's that's just, great. It's just a, one of the great great uh, things that can happen to you uh, that are really super special uh, is when you can take a picture of somebody and it's their favorite ever, and especially when they're iconic and their picture itself turns out to be iconic. Definitely. George Kalinske with us tonight on the program. Now, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame had an exhibit of some of your photos, uh, George, including Elvis, Springsteen, Jimi Hendrix, Elton John, the Beatles, the Stones. Give us a good story about one of these rock and roll idols here. Well, Elton John is uh, is probably the, the rock performer that um, I have had most of my interesting conversations with and um i have this picture there's one picture which i really loved is when elton john is playing the piano for the first time in the garden and john lennon is accompanying him um oh yeah that, that uh, was uh thanksgiving song. night uh thanksgiving yeah, night right. 19 what 74 right and um 
it was, uh, I mean, I didn't know it was such a great moment. Nobody knew that this would turn out to be such a great moment. But it was because that was the last time that John Lennon ever performed on the stage before he was shot. And I presented this only a year ago, this picture to Elton John. And Elton, uh, he cried when I, when I told him the story that I just told you. And he, he didn't, he didn't realize that that was, uh, Lennon's last time that he, he performed. And it was like five minutes before he was supposed to go out on stage. And he, I mean, he went out on stage, but he had tears in his eyes from the story. And that picture probably is the greatest moment that I ever shot in, in entertainment history. Um, that, that's where, that's a, a, a perfect example of an iconic shot. Because it the moment is iconic, is. the shot is iconic. Definitely. Uh, Elton and, and uh, John Lennon on stage during that so memorable concert, uh, singing Whatever Gets You Through the Night. And uh, I saw her standing there. And, you're uh, good. You're really you're, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm not young, George. I'll tell you. You may think I'm young, but I'm not. So don't, don't worry. I'm, I'm in there with you. Now, well, you're young at heart. Yeah, yeah sure I am. Quote. How, how about the Beatles, George? I have photographed the Beatles, but not together. Okay. I photographed, uh, I photographed two at a time and three at a time, but never four at a time. But I photographed all four. Okay. Now, we know about I the... I don't have a... I'm sorry. Go ahead, George. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I don't have this magic moment uh story that uh the uh, with all four beetles uh, because i only had the three uh, i mean I, I photographed all four but separately well that's good enough for me george i'll tell you now <laughs> uh we know about the great knickerbocker photos uh that you've taken throughout the years let's talk a little bit about those mike reardon wanted me to tell you that he has the photo of Willis and Danny Whalen coming out of the tunnel, that, that famous photo, uh, above his fireplace in his home down in Maryland. And uh, talk a little bit about that picture. Well, Willis, uh, the world was trying to figure out, and certainly the New York world was trying, to, uh, was trying to find out if Willis was going to play that night, or at least they were wondering if they, I mean, everybody in New York was wondering if Willis was going to play because he had hurt himself in the, in the fifth game against L.A., and now this is the seventh game against L.A., the number three important, uh, number seven. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to lunch with Willis that day, and I said, I mean, I really meant it. I, I said, you're going to hurt yourself if you fight tonight. I mean, I don't know if you're really going to hurt yourself, but you could hurt yourself for life because you already have that muscle pulled so much. And I, I, would, I, I wouldn't want anything to happen to you. And he says, he says, George, you know, George K. You always call me George K. And he said, if I have to crawl out on my hands and knees, I'm going to play tonight because there's probably no other time in my life that I'm, that I can play for a championship. And this, if we win tonight, we're, we're, we're world champions. And I, it may never come my way again. So I'm going to play. And, uh, Willis, uh, walked out onto the court. And when he, as he walked out onto the court that night, uh, the crowd was as electric as I've ever heard a Nick crowd. It was unbelievable. Marv Albert talks about how electric it was also. And it, it just was. And there's, there's very few other words that um, I can think of that, that other than the electricity was unbelievable. And every word seems to have electric in it. But it was just uh, an incredible moment when Willis walked out. The fans weren't crazy. And... Um, and Willis scored the first two shots of the game. Uh, the Knicks led four nothing, and they won. And they won the championship. And that, that's that's why Mike Reardon has that picture hanging in his house because that is the iconic moment that uh, resulted in that picture uh, being so important. Definitely, George. Is Howard Cosell? 
uh, said it, a triumph of the human spirit, really. And then, and certainly one of the great moments in New York sports history, if not all of sports history. That is for sure. And a couple of other it's photos. Be up there. Yes, definitely, George. George Kalinsky with us. Uh, the photo of Bill Russell with his leg up in the air, rebounding the basketball. Another iconic shot. How did you catch that one? I was, you know, luck has to stop off at your house every now and then. <laughs> and uh, luck just happened to stop off at my house when he had his leg up on a, above his head. I've never seen that before, where a person rebounds and, the, and his foot is way above his head. But... Um, I, I somehow got that shot. Uh, it probably is my best basketball shot that I ever took. Russell loves it, and will not let he will not let anybody do anything with his his image without using that picture, which is quite an honor. Um, he he's Russell's been really, really terrific to me. I know he asked me for a lot of photographs every now and then. And I said, well, when you give me this photograph and you, and you autograph it, I'll give you some back, which we kid around back and forth because he, he loves the shot. And I honestly think, uh, knowing design and, and the aesthetics of, uh, and creating, I just think that that picture turned is, is probably the best, uh, basketball picture that I've ever taken. And there's pieces that go with it. It happens to be Bill Russell, which, who was one of the, uh, he certainly was my favorite player of all time. I, I guess I have to throw Michael in there too, but, uh, and, uh, Russell said something recently and it was very nice. I can't believe he said that. And I'm, if I'm bragging and I'm bragging, but <laughs> he said, this picture, I, I said, what does this picture mean to you? And he was on, he was being interviewed at the time and he said, it's if I had a treasure, a digging for a treasure box, and I found this treasure box, and I opened it up. He said it would be like like a diamond that I found in this treasure box. That uh, that's sort of how I feel about this picture. It's just uh, it's it's something that. No, we're having trouble with the phone line. Uh, George Kalinsky was with us. Uh, we'll try to get him back on the line talking about some of the really iconic sports photographs of uh, all time, certainly in New York, if not uh, throughout the world of sports. Uh, George telling us how Bill Russell felt about that picture. Just Google the George Kalinsky Bill Russell photo, and, and you'll see exactly what I mean. We we back, Brian? Hi, George. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. <laughs> George. Hey, there you go. There you go. Okay. I wanted to ask you, George, uh, uh, the great Bill Russell photo we spoke about. How about the famous photo of Muhammad Ali showing up to Joe Frazier's training camp, looking through the glass with a look that only the great Muhammad Ali could give, right? Well, Frazier and Ali, they they had a, a stick together, and they played off each other. Uh, and every, and as as years went by, they just got better and better and better. And uh, and this picture was one where I was trying to get take pictures during the first Ali Frazier. The white champions were in the ring together, mm-hmm. fighting, and. Uh, it was uh, an opportunity for me to take photos of Ali and Frazier together for the when and they were together for the first time for this. So uh and then out of this picture out of these pictures came the shot of Ali looking through the window at show and with a with bars windows with it was a window with bars. Yeah. And um uh it was just uh it was just one of these lucky shots again. Everybody loves that shot. Iconic, certainly, George. And not many people, right. not many people have a Leroy Neiman fo- uh, drawing of themselves, and you do. <laughs> Picture drawn for them by Leroy Neiman, but you have one. I have several, actually. Oh, I was wow. honored, 
I was I was honored that Leroy did that. And matter of fact, one of the pictures that I like almost more than uh, definitely like more than any picture uh, Leroy ever gave me was he did the uh, he did the, the card the invitation for uh, June and I uh, for our wedding uh, 25 years ago, and. And that's a, certainly a thrill, George, to have that done. And uh, what are some of the other ones that he drew of you? Mostly shooting uh, with my camera. After uh-huh. the, he has me at a basketball game, a hockey game, boxing event. Basically, uh, doing a portrait, doing some portraits of me also. So I was honored. Leroy was a wonderful, wonderful person, and I really. Folks, I wanted to ask him about uh, a picture that he had handed off to Jerry Seinfeld. Um, and I, I wanted to ask him about that. Also, uh, he, I always had this feeling that I was trusted, and I think that nothing is more important in this world that when you have a relationship with anybody, that it's one of trust. And I think I have gained that, and I think that's the most important thing that I can think of that's that makes my career what it was. Great, great thought, George. Great thought. Now, I want to ask you quick, what did, what did you uh, hand off to Jerry Seinfeld? I saw a photo uh, of you presenting a picture to Jerry. Jerry has the picture. That's the picture of Willis walking onto the court. Ah, okay, yeah. So Seinfeld, is, uh, he's on his last show for NBC, and NBC wants to give him a present, and he finds out, uh, and NBC, you know, uh... Smith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts, coming up. He's receiving the Kurt Gowdy Award, and uh, we thank him for being with us tonight. That uh, I'll get in touch with him and thank him off the air. But I hope you enjoyed the snippets that we did talk about with George Kalinsky. Uh, an honor to have him with us, and I thank him for taking time out of his Sunday night to spend some with us. Well, that, unfortunately, folks, will do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Mike Reardon and George Kalinsky, my engineer, Brian Graves, and can't do it without you. Thanks for you for joining us. Pete and Faz coming up next. See you next Sunday on the radio. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue, wishing you a good evening, folks. expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.